Hi, I'm Marie. And I'm Emily. And we're registered dietitians who love to look at the research when it comes to all things diets and supplements. With years of working with professional and collegiate athletes, we've seen it all, and we're here to set the record straight. On this podcast, we break down popular diets and supplements to let you know what's legit and what's BS. versus BS podcast. Today we have an exciting episode about alcohol. Emily and I cheers right before we started recording. We <laughs> both have our alcoholic beverages. Emily has a lovely glass of wine. I had every intention of having like bubbly rosé, uh, but I got stuck in traffic. So all I had oh, no. <laughs> was the tequila high noon seltzer. So that's and they're warm because they weren't in the fridge. Oh, no. It's all right. That's my refreshing beverage this afternoon. Mm, Lovely. Yes. Yes. Kicking off summer. Yes. A little happy hour and podcasting. Yes, exactly. Uh, So we're going to talk all about alcohol, be talking about some myths, some recent popular podcast conversations that, you know, maybe you've heard about how devastatingly terrible even just one glass of wine is, according to some people. Um, maybe you've heard that there's certain benefits from alcohol. Maybe you're not sure how much alcohol you should be drinking, if any at all. We're going to get into all of that today. And really quickly, this is going to be our last episode until August. We are taking a summer break We both have a lot of travel coming up. We just got a lot of stuff in the works. So um, taking a quick break, we're still going to have content on Instagram. So definitely head over to RDs underscore VS underscore BS underscore pod. If you want to continue to see stuff like shit at the grocery store and we'll be doing some reels, kind of debunking some creators content in the interim. Before we get into our episode, as always, if you like our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or five-star rating on Spotify. That is the best way to support us. Please continue to send us any topic suggestions. We will be recording during this break, so please, we will still be reading your topic suggestions. You can DM us at our Instagram. Again, that's at Artie's underscore VS underscore BS underscore pod or our contact page from our website, artiesversusbs.com. And we are still working, even though we're taking a break from putting out episodes, we are still working. We still have both have um, the ability to take one-on-one clients. So if you are interested in getting one-on-one counseling with a dietitian, you can learn more by contacting us either under the work with us tab on our website or through our Instagram. All right, shit at the grocery store today. I feel like this is fitting seeing as we've got summer coming up and I, for some reason, always associate this with summer and yeah, I'll just let you take it away, Emily. (laughs) I love it. Yes, it's a a drinks episode through and through. So this is also a listener submission and for our shit at the grocery store this week, we're talking about Celsius. It is an energy drink And it is extremely popular. So here's the thing with Celsius. It's an energy drink. Yes, we'll talk about the ingredients and all of that. But something that they also claim on the front, and I think this is partially why it's so popular, it says it provides essential energy, whatever that is, accelerates metabolism and burns body fat. So... In the small little writing at the bottom where it says Celsius alone does not produce weight loss in the absence of a healthy diet and modern (laughs) exercise. No way. Uh, No way. (laughs) Never heard that one before. 
I take issue that they even say that it burns body fat. And basically, I think where they're coming from with the body fat claim and the metabolism claim is that Celsius has a ton of stimulants and a ton of caffeine in it. So technically, you know, it makes your heart rate increase. When it comes to stimulants, it has taurine, guarana, caffeine, and green tea leaf extract. And when you look at the actual amount of caffeine that's in there, it's 200 milligrams per can, which is a lot. Like, that is pretty much the equivalent of having two Starbucks cups of coffees. The other things they mix it with is in a proprietary blend, so you don't know how much taurine, guarana, green tea extract. There's a few other things in there, too, um, that you're actually getting, so... It'll definitely get you going. It is a stimulant. However, as with all stimulants, don't get that confused for actual energy, which comes from carbs. Yes. Usually. <laughs> so keep that in mind. But that's my uh, that's my two cents on Celsius. Ton of stimulants, ton of caffeine. One thing I do want to point out with Celsius that is an everyday battle at my job is oh, that... No. It is a supplement. So if you look on it, it doesn't have a nutrition facts label. It has a supplement facts label. So if you're ever not sure if stuff like um, energy drinks or like sometimes teas, I, supplements are usually pretty obvious, but like protein powders, energy drinks, half the time they're foods. So they have a nutrition fact label and half the time they're supplements, which means that they're not regulated unless it's third party tested, which Celsius is not. That means that it is a supplement and we are not guaranteed that what they say is on the label is what's actually inside of it. So I know Celsius is a popular item. Just know that you are taking a risk when you drink Celsius because it is a supplement and it's not a food. And unlike something like Red Bull or I think even like Monster, a lot of them are food. So at least you know like what you're actually putting in your body with stuff like that. Another quick thing I want to say is like Celsius likes to brand itself like it's somehow a lot healthier than stuff like Red Bull and Bang and Monster and whatever with it the way that they package it, which the, with the way that they try to make it like, oh, you're being fit. And I get questions all the time about which energy drink should I choose? You know, which one's the best? I'm like, ultimately, none of them are great. You know, <laughs> like none of them are that good. I would prefer you take something that's a food so at least you know what you're putting in your body. But that doesn't mean I'm out here telling you to drink Red Bull. Ultimately, I'd prefer you get, you know, if caffeine's what you need and you get it from like coffee or tea. But at the end of the day, energy drinks are energy drinks. Most of the time, they're not giving you anything actually nutritive, meaning like not really providing a whole lot of nutrients. They're giving you caffeine. Sometimes they're doing it supplement form. Ultimately, we should really just be limiting how many energy drinks we drink in general. Agreed. Yeah, I I just did a quick like Celsius Google search. And there's a new kind of Celsius called Celsius Heat that has 300 milligrams of caffeine oh in it. Oh my God. In case you didn't get enough of a jolt from the 200. So whew, that would get you going. That is wild. So yeah, just what Marie said. Yeah, so that's Celsius. So thank you for that listener submission. So let's talk about alcohol. 
So this needed to be a conversation because there are many different claims when it comes to alcohol. There are people who are on the side of any amount of alcohol is detrimental. It's going to be harmful for your health. It's going to short your lifespan, all of that. There's people who say, well, drinking moderately is fine. Look at the Mediterranean diet, right? And the people, many of the people in the blue zones that we talked about in the Mediterranean diet episode do consume alcohol moderately. So it has to be good in that case, right? So we wanted to take all of the big claims that we've heard and really look at the science behind it to determine what is the deal. There are four big claims that we want to talk about. So the first is that moderate drinking, especially red wine, is heart healthy. I'm sure everyone's heard that one. The second claim is that alcohol can actually prolong your lifespan. The third claim is that alcohol is harmful to health at any level. So any amount of alcohol is harmful. So claim two and three are kind of two ends of the spectrum. And then claim four is that certain types of alcohol, like clear spirits, are healthier than others. First off, we're going to be talking about, you know, the good and the bad about alcohol, all of that. But of course, two things to keep in mind. One, in the USA, the legal drinking age is 21. So even if you hear us say, yeah, drinking in moderation can actually not be harmful and could maybe even be heart healthy. That doesn't mean for everyone, right? Like we gotta gotta stay within the legal parameters here. Obviously as well, we are not taking into consideration with this conversation stuff like people who have uh, substance abuse or have dealt with alcoholism or maybe you have it yourself, but you know it runs in your family, so you've just chosen to abstain. Like obviously for any of those reasons, if you've been medically advised to not consume alcohol, anything like that, we are not recommending at all that you drink alcohol. We are simply talking about like a general healthy population, somebody that hasn't been potentially dealing with some um, alcohol abuse issues, somebody that's over the legal drinking age, and somebody that already consumes alcohol. So if you don't fall into that, then you are welcome to continue to listen to this episode, obviously, uh, but we are not recommending alcohol for you at all. Good disclaimer. Yeah, so let's just start off with the basics, and this goes back to like health class, but When we're talking about alcohol, it typically comes in the form of wine, beer, liquor. Seltzers have become a thing, which weren't when I was in college, but I would have loved to have seltzers around in college. I'm not a big beer person myself. When we talk about one standard drink, it's often a lot less than what people (laughs) actually serve themselves. So wine is five ounces, and if you're a wine drinker, I encourage you to one day pour yourself a glass of wine and then measure how many ounces you actually poured. I know for me, it's not five, it's (laughs) typically more like five visually. It's kind of like when, if anyone's ever looked up the serving size of pasta, it's like a depressingly small amount. It's kind of the same with five ounces of wine here. So five ounces of wine, 12 ounces of light beer, eight ounces of craft beer, And 1.5 ounces of liquor, so like a shot of vodka, is one standard drink, a 1.5 ounce shot. In general, when we're defining moderate drinking, it's different for men and women. And this is 
solely based on metabolism and on the size. Like women in general tend to be smaller than men. But the recommendation for women is no more than one standard drink per day. And the recommendation for men is no more than two standard drinks per day. Now, this is when people always ask, well, can I save it all up, not drink (laughs) for seven days and then just go crazy on one day? Like, is that the same as having no more than one drink per day? And sadly, the answer is no, that is not Like, it would truly be healthier to have one drink seven days in a row than to not drink at all and have seven drinks one day in a row. And we'll talk about why that is. We'll get into the metabolism a little bit. Okay, so now we want to define binge drinking. So this is, again, just like the defining moderate drinking, defining what a standard drink is, defining binge drinking. It's all just to make the rest of the episode clear. So we're all talking about the same thing. So binge drinking technically is defined as consuming five or more drinks on one occasion for men or four or more drinks on one occasion for women. Now, I'm sure some people are listening to this and thinking, oh shit, I'm a binge drinker. Maybe (laughs) you're feeling some guilt or anxiety about that. We are not here to judge. Don't feel bad about yourself if every once in a while you have a night where you are technically a binge drinker. We're going to just use these as our definitions for today and give you the facts about what science says about moderate drinking versus binge drinking versus not drinking at all. All right, so really quickly, we want to get into alcohol metabolism because it might help when we talk later about some potential effects of alcohol. Alrighty, so when you consume alcohol, and we're talking about ethanol, there are other types of alcohol, but we are talking specifically about ethanol, which is what is in your alcoholic beverages. When you drink, it travels through the digestive system, it gets absorbed into your bloodstream from your small intestine. Once it's in your bloodstream, it will travel to your liver. And that is the main organ responsible for breaking down alcohol. So when it's in your liver, there's an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase, and it breaks down the alcohol molecule into a molecule called acetaldehyde. And there's a big stink right now on a uh, Huberman Labs podcast that sort of prompted this whole discussion where he then took it upon himself to very drastically talk about how toxic acetaldehyde is and how much havoc it can wreak on your body. And it is true. It is technically a toxic compound. Um, And many of the negative effects from drinking comes from circulating acetaldehyde. Luckily, your body very quickly has another enzyme called aldehyde dehydrogenase, and it breaks acetaldehyde into a non-toxic substance called acetate. Alcohol goes from ethanol to acetaldehyde, which is toxic, can cause damage to cells, and then to the a non-toxic form called acetate. Where you can have issues, and most particularly issues with your liver when we're talking about the uh, metabolism of alcohol is the fact that your liver can only process so much alcohol per hour. And it is typically one standard drink, although it will be very dependent on your body, your body's ability to create some of those enzymes. So basically the reason that your blood alcohol level goes up is because if your liver is only able to 
break down the alcohol at a rate of roughly one standard drink an hour, you're going to have a buildup of alcohol in your blood. This is why your blood alcohol level or your BAC, your blood alcohol content in your blood is going to go up the more that you drink and the more quickly you drink in a shorter period of time, it's going to go up higher. Um, And obviously this is the test that we use to like decide to determine whether or not you were legal to drive and operate heavy machinery and all that kind of stuff. Um, But that's why that happens. Your liver can only break down so much alcohol at once. Your liver also can only break down so much acetaldehyde at once. So again, that is that intermediate compound, which is toxic to the body. So you can have a little bit of buildup of the acetaldehyde. And that is where you're going to see some negative impacts on cells. And since this is all happening in the liver, it tends to affect your liver cells which is why when people are chronic drinkers, they might experience liver disease. And that is because basically they are exposing their liver, they're they're overrunning their liver with alcohol and with this intermediate step um, that is actually causing harm to that organ. So yeah, no, that was, that was a good breakdown. And basically what it all comes down to is too much and the liver does not work well. And that is always going to be an issue. So With all of that being said, let's start talking about some of these claims, because I think they're all claims that many of us have heard before. And they're very contradictory, which is why we want to go through them. They are, yes. First one, that moderate drinking, especially red wine, is heart healthy. Again, remember moderate drinking, one per day for a woman two per day for a man. And I think for people who do enjoy wine, especially, it's very exciting. Like myself, I really want to believe this and I want to, you know, put my blinders on all of the naysayers (laughs) who say, no, any alcohol is bad, you know, all of that. But there have been studies of, you know, the population's like we were talking about the Mediterranean diet. Red wine is a huge part of a daily having a glass of red wine and they have lower rates of heart disease. You know, why it's specifically red wine is because there is something called resveratrol in red wine, which has been found to be an antioxidant. It may help prevent heart disease by increasing good cholesterol and even protecting against artery damage. There is a little bit of research saying that, but when you actually take a look at these studies, they tend to be observational, which means they're not randomized control trials. It's not like there's a placebo group and then the group that drinks wine every day for 40 years and they compare. They're observational, which can only demonstrate correlation, not causation. Also, what we have to keep in mind is that other lifestyle factors matter. In this case, so like the Mediterranean diet, not only are they drinking a glass of red wine every day, they're also eating healthy fats and whole grains and beans and fruits and vegetables and all of this good stuff. So can we say that it is just the red wine alone that is helping them live longer and have you know a healthy heart? Yes. No. Yes, yes, we can. And the podcast, enjoy your wine. Um, I know. I I, I hate this part, but it's just true. 
I'm not tearing it apart. I'm not saying there is like zero research showing that there's this connection, but we have to take all the other factors into into consideration. So long story short with that one, this is the reason why, you know, people say, if you don't drink already, don't start just for the heart health benefits because it's a little wishy-washy on whether red wine specifically can give you those heart health benefits. If you want to, you know, imitate this whole lifestyle, you can't just pick and choose. I like the wine bit, but I'm going to leave all the rest. (laughs) Yes. Long story short, if you enjoy your glass of red wine, may or may not be helping your heart, but pairing it with a healthy diet isn't going to hurt. So that's claim one. Claim two is that alcohol can prolong lifespan. So I remember seeing something I've seen a few times throughout the years on Instagram, you know, the best place to get your, uh, your scientific information. (laughs) But there was something about like a shot of tequila can make you live longer or like one beer a day can make you live longer. Unfortunately, it is too good to be true. (laughs) I mean, truly, there is no research that I've found that's solely says drinking alcohol can prolong your lifespan. You know, the claim that alcohol could prolong lifespan is based on some epidemiological studies that have suggested that moderate alcohol consumption may be associated with a longer lifespan compared to non-drinkers and compared to heavy drinkers. Um, And one of these studies is called the 90 plus study. And It was started in 2003, and it looks at people who are age 90 or older. What they found when they looked at what these people ate and drank and how they lived, they found that people who drank moderate amounts of alcohol lived longer than people who drank no alcohol at all. So again, very interesting. I would love to latch on to that and say, yes, I totally, not going to read any more into it. That sounds good. But Again, this 90 plus study is another observational study. Another thing that we need to keep in mind is that there are many other behaviors and, you know, behaviors and genetics that can contribute to someone living 90 plus. What they eat, who they spend their time with, is there, you know, social interaction going on? Is there a lot of physical activity in their life? We can't just say it is the alcohol itself. So that's one study. And then one more I wanted to touch on was a study where they came up with something called the J-shaped curve. If you happen to be near a computer or you're not driving, Google the J-shaped curve and see if you can find this picture. Or just imagine like a Nike swoosh. That's why. That's exactly (laughs) what it looks like. So this graph looks at the relationship between alcohol consumption and mortality. So on the left, you know, the y-axis, it's relative risk of total mortality. And it starts at one, and the lower it goes, the less risk of dying, and the higher it goes, the more risk. And then at the bottom, it says how many drinks per day, and the line that's graphing, you know, does the little Nike switch. So basically... If you drink zero drinks per day, your relative risk of total mortality is at 1.0. If you have one drink per day, the line goes way down. 
And by way down, it goes from 1.0 to 0.8. But then every drink that you add on top of one drink per day, the line goes back up. But this is something that I always thought was interesting, especially as a college student who was introduced to this for the first time, is that this line of relative risk of total mortality goes up with each drink, but it doesn't hit 1.0 again until four drinks per day. And as a college kid, and I'm not saying go out and drink four drinks per day. Like that is, for many other reasons, that's not very good for you. But it's kind of interesting. The people who have four drinks per day have the same relative risk of total mortality as the people who have zero drinks per day. And everything in between is below that line. We have to keep in mind with this, there are confounding factors. Like in this study, non-drinkers can also include former drinkers who maybe had to quit due to their health problems, which would skew the data. And again, it's very hard to measure, you know, this relative risk of total mortality. It's not like people are only drinking and not consuming anything else. Like what else are they eating? What are they, how are they living their lives? So it's just one piece of data, but it's something to take a look at. And even despite that, despite these two studies, is it enough to say that alcohol can prolong lifespan? It's not. So in conclusion with this, and this is why moderate drinking has been set to the level that it is, uh, the recommendation is still, if you are going to drink, no more than one drink per day for for women, no more than two drinks per day for men. All right, so that is the evidence that we have of the pros of alcohol, which I feel like can sort of be summarized to observationally, it seems like people that drink moderately tend to be among the cohorts of people that live the longest and have the lowest risk of cardiovascular health. Is it the alcohol? Probably not. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. It's, it's, it is compelling and it's a, it's, it's observational. It's not compelling of, Hey, this means that you should drink alcohol to be healthy. Like it does not say that at all. There's no causation effect that you can draw from that. But what it does show is that if you consume, if you're somebody who is a moderate alcohol consumer, that can be part of overall healthy lifestyles that allow you to live a long, healthy life. So, so getting on to our next claim is that alcohol is harmful for you at any level. So totally switching (laughs) the claims here. So there also is evidence to support that drinking in any amount can be detrimental. There was a study that came out in 2018 that looked at alcohol consumption across 195 countries, and they were looking at trends from 1990 to 2016. And basically, the conclusion found that the safest level of drinking is zero (laughs) drinks per day. This included cardiovascular disease risk, cancers, Injuries, which I feel like is probably a big one, right? Injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically they found that it was a dose response. So the more that you drink, the higher that your risks were with each of these categories. And alcohol is absolutely linked to liver diseases. Um, there is a liver disease called alcoholic liver disease, which means almost sort of directly the alcohol that you have consumed has given your liver liver disease. There's also non-alcoholic liver disease. Um, so there usually if you are 
diagnosed with alcoholic liver disease, it means we're pretty certain that the your alcohol consumption has caused your liver disease in the same way that the data showed that, you know, what we just talked about, that maybe there's some benefits. It looks like groups of people that drink moderately live longer, but this is all observational and we're looking at cohorts. Same thing for these types of studies. We're using the same data and basically the same data is kind of showing, or the same type of data is showing inconclusive and opposite. And which is another reason why we're not out here shouting from the rooftops, start drinking alcohol. You know, like (laughs) if all of the data or if 99% of the data was like, you'll live longer for sure, then we might be like, yeah, drink alcohol. But it's just so muddled that we we're kind of like, if you do drink like one, if you don't eat, you know, don't start. So Part of the reason, like I said earlier in the introduction that we wanted to talk about this today is because Andrew Huberman, who is a neuroscientist, I think he's an, yeah, he's either a neurologist or or neuroscientist. Uh, He has a very popular podcast called Huberman Labs and Seb, Emily's husband, has very eloquently called him a lane jumper in the past. I think he talked about that when we interviewed him for our, our biohacking episode. Basically, what that means is I think there's a lot of good information in his podcast. I think there's also a lot of, I kind of skirted out of my field information in his podcast as well. Um, And he did an episode on alcohol. And basically, the conclusion of that is alcohol is super, super toxic for you. You should not be drinking it at all. At most, I think at one point, I listened to it, the whole thing. and good for you moderate amounts of notes but at one point i think he was saying like you should be drinking like max one drink per month or something like that like oh every once in a while you can have a glass of wine at dinner or something like that and the two like most extreme things that he was talking about on that podcast was the effects of alcohol on your brain and basically your brain deteriorating actual brain matter and your gut health Okay, so the first one I'm going to talk about is a 2021 article that was written in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, and this is what it was cited or what he cited when he was talking about gut health. And I'm going to read for you word for word um, some quotes from his podcast. He said, People who ingest alcohol in any amount are inducing a disruption in the gut microbiome, the trillions of little microbacteria that take residence in your gut. You've got disruption of the gut microbiome, As a consequence, the lining of the gut is disrupted and you develop, at least transiently, leaky gut. That is, bacteria that exist in the gut, which are bad bacteria, can now pass out of the gut and into the bloodstream. So Huberman made a claim on his podcast that there's evidence to support that even one alcoholic beverage can disrupt your gut microbiome and instantly cause quote-unquote leaky gut syndrome which means that what is in your gut can just leak into your bloodstream, which has not actually been proven to be an actual medical condition. It's all of the buzzwords. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. I read the article. And um, shocker. So the article does not say that at all. Oh, my God. <laughs> but no one but you is actually reading the article. So <laughs> you can get away with it. 
So it basically, so it's a review of a bunch of in vitro studies, which means not done in humans, but done in Petri dishes. So again, we've got an entire digestive process that protects us from a lot of stuff. That's why we can eat a lot of stuff and not get sick and not have like bad things happen because we've got an entire protective process. That's why we evolved this way, right? Anyways, so in a Petri dish, Basically, it shows that when exposed to alcohol, the gut biome can possibly make dis- disturbances. And the, the article basically concluded that there's a possibility that alcohol might impact the gut based off of that data. But we don't know the extent to which that is. And with all of the data that we have about the gut in general, one of like the main things that people who are microbiome experts are like screaming from the rooftops with all these like gut protocols or whatever is they're like, we literally don't know how to change the gut in a substantial way. So how are you going to say drinking a one singular alcoholic beverage is going to totally disrupt the gut microbiome when we don't even know how to change it at all? You know, so it was just like a very extreme claim from data that's like, Hey, in a petri dish, it seems like alcohol disturbs the environment of the gut microbiome. So we don't, you know, we don't know. And like, yeah, let's say maybe there's like a very quick change in environment. Well, as soon as it's digested, like it could go back to normal and have no impact whatsoever. You know, we just really don't know what the actual impact on an individual level is. And another huge thing with this, this review was in the context of looking at people who suffered from alcohol use disorders. Ah. So it was talking about chronic alcohol intake. And so Huberman is taking that information and now applying it to drinking a singular drink, which is not the same thing as chronic consumption and having alcohol abuse issues. That is that. Am I saying alcohol is good for your gut? I am not. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is that you cannot take the data that's out there and say drinking one drink will ruin your gut. We don't have that evidence either. It's just like it's causing fear in a place that doesn't need to be fearful, right? Mm -hmm. The second one that he brings up, uh, and he talks about a lot of different stuff. I'm just bringing up the two that I felt like were the most sort of take it out of context. He's talking about alcohol's negative impacts on the brain. And he's citing a, an, art, an article that came out in Nature in 2022. And let me caveat this by Huberman is probably better equipped to read this type of research than I am, seeing as he studies the brain, right? So I would like to at least like caveat that a little bit. But based off of at least my interpretation of the literature and what I read, it still feels like it was taken out of context. Taken out of context, not the right word. I think he represented the data correctly, but I think he didn't talk about the limitations of the study. Mm, yeah. So basically, th- this article is concluding that, the there again, a dose response, the more that you drink, the more uh, brain matter that is affected negatively. Thus, this multimodal imaging study highlights the potential for even moderate drinking to be associated with changes in brain volume in middle age and older adults. So they're basically looking at does moderate, which again, our definition is one drink a day for women, two drinks a day for men. Does that also disrupt brain patterns? And so the conclusion was like, yeah, it seems like it does. 
However, and I think that this is huge, especially going back to what we talked about earlier with when you pour yourself a glass of wine, are you really pulling, pouring yourself five ounces or are you pouring yourself uh-huh. 10 ounces? This is self-reported alcohol intake. Oh. I think that that is massive for Huberman to leave out. Self-reported alcohol intake. Guess what? When I'm taking a survey, I drink a lot less alcohol than uh-huh. I actually do. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, my my sister's a PA and she said, I forget what the what you're supposed to multiply it by, but she said when people say how much they drink, you're supposed to multiply it by like two or three because people lie. So, okay, so we can kind of probably assume that the people that put zero probably have a pretty good grasp on the fact that they drink zero, but now uh-huh. you've got people self-reporting that they quote, drink moderately, well, maybe they're pouring themselves a triple serving of wine. They're not drinking one drink. They're not drinking in moderation. They're drinking three drinks. They're almost binge drinking, according to the definition. Mm -hmm. So how can we trust this data to be so accurate to say, oh, look at this. Like even people that drink one glass of wine every once in a while, they have their brain matters affected. Well, self-reported, you know, mm-hmm. I, Good point. I, I cannot stress how huge that is because people are so bad. And most people don't even know when I have conversations with people about what a standard drink looks like, they're like, oh, holy shit. I didn't know. I thought my like triple neat whiskey. I, was, I just thought if it was in one, one glass, it, it was in yeah. one drink. It's like, uh-huh. no, that's three drinks, you know? So mm-hmm. that that's just giant to me. Honestly, all this shows is that people who think that they're, they're drinking moderately, <laughs> drinking more, they're drinking more than they think they are. So yes. those are the two things with that. And I think it's a similar takeaway. Like, again, we are not saying start drinking alcohol. We're not saying start drinking more alcohol. Um, we are saying that right now, the evidence, I would say at best, the evidence is like contradictory, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. And then the last thing, which, oh my God, I get questions about all the time, usually in the context of weight loss, of like, what alcohol can I drink to be skinny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Like, I want to drink, but I don't want to gain weight. Like, what do I do? Yeah. I once had somebody approach me and ask if I would give a talk to a sorority about teaching them how to drink alcohol in the way that makes them gain weight the least. And I was like, no! I absolutely not be giving that talk. <laughs> Once I went, okay, what, as many of you know, Marie and I met at Ohio State. We did our uh, grad school there. I drove all the way to Ohio University. I talked to a team. I drove an hour and a half to talk to a team about sports nutrition. And at the end, I say, are there any questions? And they had one question and it was, what alcohol can I drink? (laughs) That isn't going to have me gain weight. I'm like, well, this was worth my time. See you all later. (laughs) But people care about this. Yeah. All right. So the claim is that there are certain types of alcohol that are healthier than others. You know, ultimately, like we said, a standard quote unquote drink from a weight gain or loss perspective is going to have the same amount of calories. Now, obviously, there's other types of alcohol. There's like liqueurs and stuff like that. Some have been sweetened. And that's honestly where a lot of people run into trouble with weight gain and alcohol. If Obviously, if you're consuming quote unquote binge drinking, if, according to the official definition, or drinking more than the moderate amount, you're now getting upwards of even if you are only drinking the alcoholic beverage, you know, you are getting upwards of like 500, 600, 700 
over a thousand extra calories a day just from those drinks. Um, but then you can also get into trouble with mixers. So thinking of stuff like pina coladas and margaritas, you've got a lot of sugary mixers in there. Now, all of a sudden one drink is 500, 600 calories. Um, those freaking fish bowls. Like I don't even want to know how many calories are in something like that. Hopefully you're sharing with like 20 people. A lot of people report that they, like get worse hangovers based off of what type of alcohol they drink and stuff like that. Part of that could be true. I mean, there's different byproducts in the fermentation process. So for example, um, bourbon and brandy and other like darker spirits have higher amounts of congeners, which is a byproduct. And some people just react really poorly to that. I think I'm one of those people, whenever I drink whiskey, I have the worst hangover the next day. Oh no. So it just depends. There are some sulfates in certain wines that some people react negatively to. My recommendation is like, you know, your body, you now know what a standard drink is and a recommended amount. And, um, if you do feel okay after one type of alcohol and not another type of alcohol, there's no reason to drink the kind that doesn't make you feel good and gives you a hangover. Really? The biggest thing is like a lot of these, like quote unquote, the fit vine and the, you know, like the, all that kind of stuff, the, the lower calorie, like now they have like 70 calorie, wine spritzers and seltzers and like there's all kinds of seltzers all over the place these days ultimately the lower calorie it is it's just because they've taken alcohol away because um especially with straight alcohol that is the only thing that calories are coming from so there's Mm -hmm. literally nothing else you can take away which i don't personally think is a bad thing like sometimes i get the 70 80 calorie drinks because If I know, like, let's say I'm going, I I live in Florida, so I'm like, I promise I'm not bougie. I'm renting like a raggedy ass pontoon boat. But like, if I go out on a boat. (laughs) I go out on my boat. When I go out on my boat yacht. Yeah. When I go out (laughs) on the boat that I rent for the day. Uh Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I like to bring some of those low alcohol content, low calorie drinks because then I can enjoy you know, two, three, four of them, not get super drunk and drink. Each one is less than one standard drink, right? I like that. It has a lower alcohol content. I can sip at this slowly. I'll be drinking it at a slow rate. But in terms of like marketing of alcohol and people being like, oh, look, this one's like a low cow one. Well, it's just, it has less alcohol in it. So um, again, ultimately I think that's a good thing, but um, I'm sure there's some like frat boys out there that would be devastated to hear (laughs) i'm sure (laughs) that is also tends to be why stuff like these low calorie seltzers are quote-unquote better tolerated you're just drinking less you're drinking at a slower rate right so you tend to just overall drink less alcohol you feel better the next day there you go love it well we hope this episode has been helpful and informative for many people as we're getting into summer, lots to celebrate. Maybe you've got a lot of weddings, a lot of times when alcohol is going to be around. So now you have the facts. And if we were to summarize everything we talked about today, we would pretty much say, don't start drinking if you don't already. If you do, do so in moderation. One per day per for women, two per day for men. Red wine might have some health benefits, but it's not a fact, and the amount definitely matters. And sadly, no, you can't save up for one big night of drinking. Um, It's still going to be harmful if you have seven drinks, even if you haven't drank for a whole week. So 
if you're really you know focused on health but you want to enjoy a drink every now and again do the moderation thing like we said now you have the facts so you can go about this and do whatever you want now that you know the research behind it but again yeah don't get wrapped up in people you know shaming you or making you feel like oh my gosh i'm shrinking my brain by having three glasses of wine throughout a week like no it's never as dramatic as people make it sound. Red wine is also not going to save your life, right? There's two, <laughs> two different spectrums. And as with many things in nutrition, it's somewhere in the middle. So a little's okay. Balance it out. If you want to live the Mediterranean lifestyle, you can't just embrace the wine and ignore <laughs> everything else. It all, it's all got to be involved. So... Great. Well, I think that was a great episode to wrap up an awesome year so far. We are looking forward to a bit of a break and just continuing to get those listener submissions for topics. So we come back in August strong with lots of good, interesting episodes for you all. So as always, we'd love to hear from you. Keep sending us those suggestions on topics, those comments, those questions. You know how to get in touch with us. But until next time, I'm Emily. And I'm Marie. And don't let the BS get the best of you.